Okay. Um, I just want to say, I feel like, first of all, good morning. We're here. Um, it's a delight and honor to be here, mostly because I feel like um, I, I came into Jason's house. And like when you go into the house of a beloved, then you're like, aw, photos of your family. Like, this is the table that you guys eat dinner at. Like, there is the, there is the warmth of um, knowing in a different way. And so this is my first time here attending service at Citizens, and it really is such a gift to be able to lead you and pastor you. I no longer work as a pastor, but I am going to be a pastor forever in my heart. Um, and I do that through writing. I do that through editing, mentoring. And now I, I, I get to do that here this weekend. And it was such, raise your hand if you were at the retreat, because I only see a sea of faces. Um, yes, it was so filling. And this is not, like, if you feel FOMO, feel it. Because maybe you should have been there. Um, but it was very, uh, I, I talked about like having a koguma faith. Koguma is like the Korean word for sweet potato and how when you eat um, a roasted, I think is the best way, or even a steamed or boiled koguma, it just fills your mouth, right, fully. And that is the kind of experience that we had at Women's Retreat. Still have my Pepperdine water bottle. Um, and there was a moment when I wasn't in any of the small groups, uh, but I heard a lot of crying. I heard a lot of sniffling. And people, it was to me the sound of people feeling known and heard and seen. And as I just got to like walk around campus, hi guys, um, <laughs> as I got to walk around campus, I felt all of a sudden like an overwhelming sense of love. And I told some of the women, my tears are always like right here. Like anything can make me cry. So in that moment, as I was walking on campus, I was just welling up with tears at how much God loves his people and how much God loves his church and specifically today, how much he loves citizens. So thank you for having me. Thank you, Jason, for inviting me into your home um, and to be with your people. So I'm super excited to preach on creating a flourishing community. So if you feel maybe hopeless about church or the state of the church, I hope you leave today inspired by God's word. Let's turn to Genesis 1. 1 through 3, 28 through 31. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Then God blessed them. This is the end of, of the chapter. That God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. 
and I have given you every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the skies, the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. At our church and in, in our tradition, we say, like, this is the word of the Lord, and I'm going to say, this is the very good word of the Lord, and you'll respond by saying, thanks be to God. So, this is the very good word of the Lord. Okay. Something to know about me is that if there was ever a zombie apocalypse, I am going to run straight to one and be killed immediately. <laughs> no need to prolong the fear or strategize a way out. If they're going to take over, it might as well be over soon. Or in a real-life situation, if I'm alone in a parking structure, and I think women feel this, if I am alone in the parking structure and just some man is following, I can feel my senses, I can feel a man coming out behind me. He could just be walking to his car, for all I know. But the anxieties in me take it to the next level, and I'm a dead woman, because most likely he's going to attack me, and so why fight? I'm, I'm already dead. So my, even though I'm generally like, my face looks like I'm a very cheery, uh, positive, optimistic, encouraging person, but my brain is wired toward paranoia and fatalistic thinking. I think it has something to do with um, my upbringing. Uh, I was a missionary's kid, and we were kind of like raised on don't let anyone know you're a foreigner because they're going to rob us or they're going to... And it's, it actually did happen to missionary, <laughs> missionaries there. Um, but I just grew up with a lot of paranoia, and that has made me the way I am. And especially when my soul isn't well, or the world is falling apart, or people are peopling and are the very worst. I deflate and quickly sl slide down. It's like a, I don't even have to try. I just slide down this steep slope into becoming a cynic and a skeptic. And the last few years in particular have for me, and probably for you, um, given me more than enough reasons to be a cynic and a skeptic maybe particularly in the church. With story after story of church hurt and spiritual abuse, loneliness in the pews as much as we're filling the pews or chairs, people not only leaving communities of faith, but leaving the faith altogether. It, to be honest, it got to the point where it felt like being a cynic was actually the wise thing, and having faith or having hope was the foolish Thing. How many of you guys can relate to that? <laughs> Everyone is so positive here. <laughs> no one had that experience during the pandemic. Okay. Um, maybe deep down inside you don't, or maybe you really didn't. Maybe the pandemic was a time of like flourishing for you. And it, honestly, for our family, it really was a sweet time as much as there was so much loss. So maybe you don't relate to this, but maybe you've seen it in friends or your family. Um, or heard it, or there's a general feel of it in the faith world. But I noticed that when I simmer in my cynicism, fatalistic thinking, and then being in conversations with others who are also cynical and skeptical, 
very, very soon what grew inside me, what became rooted was bitterness, enmity, and hopelessness. And that eventually grew and blossomed into intentional apathy towards the Big C Church and a very nonchalant attitude toward my local church. And though I did it in the hopes of preserving myself and others, um, for those of you who know the Enneagram, I'm a two, so I'm always thinking of doing the best for others. And I thought I was doing, even being cynical for others for their sake to protect them. But I realized the fruit of all of that was actually death. Death in my snarky comments about others. Uh, death in how I thought or looked down on others who didn't think like me, protest like me, believe like me, show up for others like me. Um, and if death seems too extreme, it just wasn't giving life. And surely Jesus didn't emigrate from heaven to earth, make his home among us, live here, die here, and resurrect for death to be the fruit of our faith in him or the marker of our churches. However, when all we can see in the world, in our lives, is a dumpster fire, I think one of my favorite memes from, or the gifts from pandemic times was the little dog, you know, with the dumpster on fire. It's like, I'm fine. And I think that's how so many of us actually got through um, really hard times is just to convince ourselves it's okay because we just needed that assurance that it's going to be okay even when the dumpster is on fire. But when all we see are the flames and the smoke and the ash flying through the sky, how do we imagine life instead of death and destruction? How do we turn our hardened hearts, made like stone from all the cynicism and honestly sadness and pain and loss and anger, tender again? And this is where the story of creation comes in. So while reading through and meditating, if you don't have your Bibles, it's okay, but just try to, um, I, I want to invite you to use your imaginations and Try, because I think some of us are blocked in our imaginations. But just try to think with me and uh, imagine with me outside of these walls. So reading through Genesis 1, I was inspired by how God formed and envisioned the world. And I began to see that create, the creation story gives us a generative and life-giving framework for what a flourishing community could look like and should look like. And honestly, this framework works for any relationship, um, marriage, uh, your life, this, this can, your work. This can work for so many of those things. But since we're talking about community, we'll keep it to that. When a church comes together, all of you individually bring with you uh, different kinds of family and religious backgrounds, different kinds of theologies, are sitting here in your brains and hearts. Uh, we have different cultures and traditions and upbringings and personalities. So if you can imagine, I don't know how many people are in here. I am terrible at estimating. So just a ton of people in here. 
And you imagine everyone represents a world, and you're coming together, and there is a collision of the worlds because you've chosen intentionally to become a community, and that creates a new world. And this is where um, it's like creation. There is some formlessness, some even emptiness, some darkness, and those things are not bad descriptors. They simply describe the beginnings of a thing, right? And then verse 2 continues with how the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. Now, I think that maybe we think of hovering like a parent, and it's a negative term. But I like to think of it like an artist who is looking at their canvas. Let's say it's a painter. And they are hovering over the canvas, thinking and dreaming, what will this become? Or like a gardener who hovers over her garden, her land, and imagines. This is even before she picks out seeds. She's imagining what it could look like, what worlds and beauties they're going to bring forth. And then, um, with a stroke of a brush, with the digging of soil, they create. And God did the same thing, and he started with a few words. Let there be light. And then there was light in the beginning of all life. And I think if you've grown up in the church and you have read Genesis 1 many times, we have probably become... Um, analytical, a little, <laughs> uh, let's break down scripture so that we understand what happened on this day and that day and, and the structure of it. But I wish that we could read it, and maybe you'll read it again, um, like an artist, like a creative, or just like a child. And when you do, you'll see once what was once formless starts to take shape starts to become three-dimensional and detailed and then gets filled to the brim. There's sun, moon, stars. There's beaches, right? There's like the barrier between land and sea. There's cliffs. There's meadows and mountains. There's peacocks and pigeons and parrots. We talked about birds at retreat and how loud they were. Peacocks and parrots are particularly disgusting in their sounds. Um, there's fish and sharks and deep-sea creatures we probably don't even know about honestly, because we haven't discovered everything in the ocean yet. There are zebras and lizards and our beloved dogs and cats, though they were not domesticated at the time, and every creature imaginable and unbelievable. And then wonderful humans. Well, at least wonderful at that time. Creation is a picture of abundance, color, energy, and life. It is the ultimate example of flourishing. And I believe that idea of flourishing, that's God's heart for humanity. And that's God's heart for us as the church, is that we would flourish and have the uh, actually live the abundant life that is promised in Christ. And, and the best way to do that is together. So, to become a flourishing community, we must first imagine it in the creation framework. And I just talked about how, for many of us grown-ups, maybe your imaginations are dulled. I clearly had a wild 
imagination growing up. I, I would dream apocalyptic dreams even as a child, and now I know it's genetic because my son <laughs> dreams like that too and wakes up with nightmares. It's amazing and weird. Uh, and but, but as I grew up, I used to play a lot of... Um, dolls with my siblings. I'm the second of four kids. My younger siblings are um, seven years younger than me and then 10 years younger than me. So I um, imagined a lot of worlds for them. Imagined playing house, imagined skits, and on our bunk bed, I would do puppet shows with, our, with my dolls for them. And yet, I grew up thinking I wasn't creative. And yet, I grew up thinking, no, your imagination is silly, um, maybe even stupid. So get a hold of yourself and be a grown-up. And maybe those of you who are sitting here have experienced that, or you've told that narrative to yourself is that now I am in my 30s or post-college, post-grad. Be a grown-up, have a job, take responsibility. And we should do those things. That is part of the gift of being a grown-up, but it, me it still means that we have an imagination that we can cultivate. So this can happen through nature. It can happen, uh, I really love food. So I think it happens through food. It happens through art. And this is the hardest one for me and maybe the hardest one for you. It happens through play. I am not very good. I'm a mother to, to two kids who are sitting here. I'm not good at playing. <laughs> Unless it's like something I like to play, like Super Mario, um, and they just watch me play. <laughs> but like Legos, not my thing. That's my husband's thing. I am not good at play, and I realized why don't I like that? I think there's like a there's a block in me, and I need God to make me like a child again. And that's my prayer for you too: is God make us like children again. So what does a flourishing community in the creation framework look like? One, it looks like a partnership between us and God and us with one another. A partnership between us and God means we are co-creators with him. We generate life through our gifts, our words, our relationships, our presence, our jobs, our families. This is the good work of creation that God is still doing it didn't end on the seventh day when he rested. <laughs> this is just the way that God is because God is a creator and he still creates and he's made us to be like him. He still speaks life into being with every new thing that's born. I was at my friend's house in Nashville. She is a Miami girl who decided to homestead <laughs> and she had little chicks and as much as I actually don't like birds, they're so cute. <laughs> and they were eating from my hand. She had pigs. They also ate from my hands. And all of it reminded me that life is still happening. It's still being made. Um, and we get to experience it because God invites us to do it with him. So when we co-create with God, the delight and the joy. It sounds like, Hannah, are you here? Hannah Women's? Oh, I, it sounds like Hannah's laugh. <laughs> Who, I think she laughs like me too. Like, I have a very like guffaw laugh. 
I think that's what joy sounds like. Or even better yet, like when laughing becomes snorting or it goes into that silent laugh because you're laughing so hard and then your cheeks hurt and your belly aches. That is the kind of joy it, that it's so full, it's so satisfying, it reverberates like, uh, like the, the waves or the echo of sound. And I experienced that through um, one of my mentees is here. I, Michelle, <laughs> I'm going to point you out. Um, I led a mentoring group for five years. I've known Michelle since she was in third grade, and I was her Awana teacher. But later on, we came back together in life, and I mentored her um, and some other women. And I would get that same overwhelming sense that I got when I was at retreat of God loves you so much and he's so proud of you and the wonder of being a co-creator with God is that you get to have like front row seats you're sitting next to God front row seat you get to watch what he's doing and you get to be a part of it and that is that's why I'm like I'm so lucky that I get to lead and pastor and mentor because I get to be a witness to what is happening in God's creation. And when you join God and co-create with him, you also get to be a witness. And as a community, that is the beauty of being together, of the worlds colliding, is that we are witnesses of one another. So how might that look like for you? How can you co-create, not just in this community, I'm talking about your life. Framework should be that of co-creating with God. Those of you who are in the arts, I think it maybe there's like a maybe a more direct line in your heart towards that, but that goes for anybody. Everyone is made to co-create with God. Okay, so we have partnership with God and then partnership with one another. This, um, I hope this is encouraging to you, and I hope it encourages our leaders here. Partnership with one another displays mutuality and respect, a balance of giving and receiving, of taking responsibility and sharing the work, and through it all, and most importantly, honoring one another's humanity and dignity. What does that look like in a church? It means that leaders and congregants link arms. And I think maybe even just the way that our churches are set up, it's very like, the leaders are here, and you receive. And it's not like a, like side by side, shoulder to shoulder. But when we link arms, even though we fulfill different roles, everyone participates, everyone is engaged, and everyone is invested in the flourishing of the community. If those of you who have worked with kids, like in elementary school, I used to, in my 20s, work at a daycare, and there was the parachute. Do you guys remember this? Oh, okay, or maybe you were children. <laughs> but there's the parachute. Everyone has to hold it, and then either the teacher throws a ball inside, and then you do this, you know? And it really only works. Like, if one side doesn't do the wave, it flops, it's over. It's no fun. But when everyone does it, and my favorite was when, you know, you pull it up and then everyone goes under and hides. And it's like, 
we made a secret world and we are all here. That was my favorite, but everyone had to do it. Everyone had to lift their arms and hold the parachute. And that's how it is when we partner with one another. Everyone is invested. And so instead of the often lopsided relationship we have uh, where leaders are carrying most of, or leaders are, I would say, um, even very invested volunteers are carrying the weight and responsibility of building and maintaining a church. And the congregants or attendees are kind of consuming their labor. Both parties cultivate and nurture the life of the community and mutually care for one another. And I love the, that idea of mutuality, not just in community, but in marriages, in friendships, in even parenting children. There's a mutuality where we give and take. And that's what I experienced in this mentoring group. Even though I was the the leader and the mentor, My, our hope and our vision for it was you come to the table with your whole self, with all your gifts, and I will also come to the table with all my gifts. And together we will be a priesthood of believers, and we're going to pastor one another, and we're going to teach one another. And that kind of mutuality is what brings life. So... For leaders, how would this change the way you look at your congregation? And how can you change your posture of one of mutuality? For members, how would that change the way you approach coming to church on Sundays or going to community groups or volunteering? How can the partnership mentality where everyone is about the good work of creation within community affect who you even sit next to? on Sundays, or the way that you show up in conversations with people. So many people have told me, um, I live in Orange County, but I think this is the same in Orange County and LA. There is a real hunger for authenticity. And we all say that, but it's actually hard to be vulnerable. Sometimes we just use our vulnerability like cash. Like, I'll show you this part of me, and you show me this part of you. And we do this like, can I trust you, can I not thing, when instead we can just come holy as we are. Not because this person, we're expecting this person to be able to uh, fully hold the whole of us, but because we are grounded in Christ and we can offer ourselves fully to each other. And of course, I don't attend this church and you yourselves and your leaders know yourselves the best. So it will look unique to you. Seeing one another's, another as partners, as co-creators, will hopefully shift the, the way you um, have expectations of each other. Not only of leaders, but even leaders' expectations of congregants. And how you engage interpersonally I hope you see, even when you're struggling to see eye to eye, I hope you can see actually the image of God in one another, as was at creation. And I do hope that it helps you see the benefit of rooting yourselves wherever you're at. Um, I feel like I met a lot of people who, who were transplants while I was at the retreat. Transplants to LA, um, it was way more than I expected it to be. 
But as with any um, any time you transition, it's really hard to root yourself in a place because you don't know if you can trust the person, you don't know if you can trust the community, you don't know if you're going to even be here for a long time. But I encourage you and challenge you and invite you to um, try, to try rooting yourself and committing yourself wholeheartedly to a community. And if this is the place that you would root yourself and commit yourself wholeheartedly here. And this leads us to our second point. There's three, so don't worry, we're almost there. Um, creating a flourishing community looks like a commitment to love, growth, and wholeness. When things are alive, and I think um, you see this like, I've never had a puppy, but whenever I see videos of people who have just gotten puppies, it's like chaos. <laughs> They're like running around, all their energy, and there's movement. And it's a good thing because they're alive. And so every live thing will have movement. And that is a good thing. It cannot stay the same. And I think that feels uncomfortable for some of us. Like we resist change because it requires too much effort. Or I just got comfortable here. Why does it need to shift? Why do we need to grow and expand? But if we don't, because we're all meant to grow and learn and expand and evolve. If we don't, we're actually living a half-life. And we don't want that for the church, to be living at half-life. For congregations and, uh, congregants and leaders alike, it is no one's responsibility but your own, individually, to grow in self-awareness, please do so, to mature in wisdom, and heal from wounds to become more whole. Of course, there's therapy, and I noticed in my own uh, therapy journey, and what I've seen is it can be wonderful for you, or you can use it and weaponize it against others still. And that's where it's like, all those things need to come together. The self-awareness needs to come together, the help from others, and the maturing in wisdom has to come together. This too is the good work of creation because it is cultivating creation and you are creation. This church is creation and this work like it or not, is best done in community. We can only grow so much alone. And that's why it, it, this is not about, I'm, I'm not um, promoting marriage. What I want to say is I am promoting community and promoting friendships because that is how you're going to grow beyond what you can even do by yourself. But I'll say this with a caveat, because of my own history, um, cultivating, the cultivating we do for one another only brings life when it's rooted in love. Only love can build the kind of trust that allows for healthy, tender, caring cultivation. If not, the kind of like tilling and pruning is gonna be more harmful than helpful. 
And I say this because for much of my life, I uh, was a generally unhealthy person, <laughs> emotionally, mentally, and I prided myself on being very harsh and strict because I was upholding excellence. And so I demanded that in my leadership from those who followed after me. I demanded that. I still struggle with that in my mothering. It's hard to let that go. But, um, I, and I would, you know, the scary thing about power is that you can wield it for good or for harm. And I often wielded it um, out of manipulation to try to, um, like I would have a conversation with someone and I'm like, this person needs help. I'm gonna tell them a hard truth. And I would use that phrase from the Bible to speak the truth in love. But I would be like, I need to speak the truth because I love you. But really it was out of like rightness. I needed to point out to them how right I was because I had insight about them. And then I would walk off smug. <sighs> it's sad. <laughs> And I'm sure I've left behind me many, much harm than I probably even am aware of. Um, so it's actually ironic that my name is Grace. <laughs> from the past. Now, I hear from people, like I even heard at a retreat, um, Christine was like, you're so gentle. And like a gentle confidence. And I was like, that is the miracle and testimony of God's work in my life because I was not like that. I was not my name. And now, by God's love and grace in the long view of things, I've really become more of a person of grace. And now I cultivate not like a dictator, but now I cultivate like a gardener on my knees um, trying to be as humble as possible, knowing the power still lives in me and I can wield it for good or for harm. And in this work of cultivation, a flourishing community gives space and grace to one another as each person goes from glory to glory. Like myself in my 20s, there were probably glorious parts of me then. But I went from that to this, to now here, and thank God for people who have seen me through it all and have still championed me and loved me and trusted me with leadership. I heard your church grew exponentially, I think, in the last year or so. Um, and maybe that is wonderful, and maybe that is stressful. And maybe that is uncomfortable, like you don't know who's sitting next to you when you used to know everybody and you used to hang out and have meals after church and it was so intimate and nice and now you don't even know where you belong. I hope you can like settle, I keep doing this, but settle in your place and be patient. Settle in your seats and know that the widening of the table is always a very good thing. And it will be chaotic. It will be formless. Anytime there's like a 
shift or a growth, even personally in your life, you feel lost and confused because it is the beginning. That is a sign of a new beginning. And I think that's what's happening here at Citizens is they're shifting and expanding and growing and changing. And most likely, if you allow it to do its thing, this life that the Spirit is doing within your church, you will actually taste the depth of flourishing in your church and in your lives. So can you imagine if everyone or even most people in a community committed to the work of love, growth, and wholeness, how much healing would abound? What abundant, fuller, freer lives would be had? And people would be blessed, both within this church, but also anyone who is a witness to this church and in this community. And to be honest, as much as my brain is wired for pessimism and fatalism and paranoia, my soul, because of the gospel, is wired for hope. So I'm always wrestling internally, because I'm like, the world is ending. And then it's like, but Jesus? You know, it's like it can't help but come up this hope that I have in Christ. And that hope makes me believe it's actually possible that we would experience this, that we don't have to come to church kind of like um, with our armor up, protecting ourselves, that we could actually come to church and experience genuine care even when you've experienced hurt, that it's possible to have friends even when you felt lonely before. I really do think that it's possible in our day, even in this place. So we learned that a flourishing community is a partnership between uh, us and God, between us and each other. We learned that it commits to love, growth, and wholeness. And the last one, my favorite, is that a flourishing community is prophetic in vision. What does that mean? And that was hilarious that you said I'm a prophetic voice, but, but gentle. <laughs> and it's true. I think sometimes prophecy can feel like scary, like that how, I don't know, you know. So what do I mean by prophetic? I'll give you an example. Recently at my church, I decided to volunteer as a youth teacher. I haven't done that in 20 years, and now I'm back, and it's amazing and fun and joyous. And I quickly learned these kids are different. Not, of course they're different because they're a different generation, but like we were, we had a lesson about Sodom and, we're going through like Genesis. It was Sodom and Gomorrah time. And the reflection question was, how do you feel about God's um, judgment now? And so the question was supposed to like um, inspire, oh, he is not a judgmental God. You know, he's a God of love. <laughs> the first thing that comes out of their mouths, he's so loving. He's so kind. I'm like, wait, what? It took me so long in my faith to get to this place. And you are there? Is it because you have parents who loved you and affirmed you? I think so. I think we have a generation of children who don't have the same wounds as us. So when we try to 
teach, preach, lead, parent, mentor from the reflections of our own past, from the reactions of our own past, or even from the healed wounds of our past. It can only go so far. And that's why in this case, as we are thinking of co-creating um, with God here in this church, we need the hovering of the Spirit over us. We need our imaginations to be awakened and not dulled. And for us to encourage one another that the Spirit would hover over us and awaken our imaginations so that we can have a vision that actually will speak to the world we are trying to create. A world that will look like the new heavens and the new earth, but here, right now, that the kingdom of God will come through. And so, don't be afraid to ask for prophetic vision. I used to be scared because I, I grew up very, very conservative Presbyterian. And I was like, ugh, that's so scary. Why would, it, why would we do that? But now I'm like, Lord, yes, Spirit of God, come hover over us. Give us a prophetic vision so we know what we are working towards. And we are not going blindly and we are not just working from our past. The best kind of leader understands not only the moment that we're in, I, I take that back. It's not just leaders. It's everybody. We don't just understand the moment, but we can see what's coming ahead, and then we work toward that. And not the doom, gloom, destruction that I talked about with the zombie apocalypse, but of the good and fully redeemed heavens and earth that we are going towards. So as we do that, let's dream it into existence. And as we aim for that day, let's remember that also the kingdom of God is breaking through right now. I just realized on the way down here, I was like, is that why Jesus said the kingdom of God is near? Because it is, he was breaking it through in that moment and it is still happening today. The kingdom of God is near. How wonderful. Thank God that we are not left to our doom, gloom, and destruction and our despair. We have a hope that's alive, that's real, and we get to envision and co-create with God to get there. So as we aim, let's aim to be a flourishing community that is not only inspired by the creation story, but also creation as we see it and creation as we look at one another. And as you do, may you bring life to each other and to others in and through this community. And may you be, as was experienced in creation, abundantly blessed with life as we all work toward the redemption of all creation when the new heavens and the new earth will become our reality. I'd like to take a few moments. Let's do um, a, a, a reflection. As you think of everything that was shared, you can keep your eyes open and look at me. I also would like for you to <laughs> um, close your eyes and let's practice some imagination. 
Try to imagine what your church, your life, your relationships would look like in the creation framework. What are the colors that come up? What are the things that you see? And two, how does the story of creation inspire you to shift in your posture toward God in regards to the church and toward each other as you work toward a flourishing community? Now hold whatever that image is that came up to you. It could even be a word or uh, a shape. Um, it could be something in nature or it could be a family, a friend. Whatever it is, hold that image and let's pray. Lord, thank you that we are not left to despair. Thank you that um, when Jesus left this earth physically, he left us with the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and hover over us. We invite you to inspire us and give us new ways of imagining what a flourishing community, a flourishing life could look like here on earth. Thank you that your kingdom is so, so close, just on the other side of the veil. And that you are always accessible to us in all the ways, in nature, in food, in community. You make it so easy for us to reach you. And you, um, you want to be found. Thank you for wanting to be found and help us to wake up and pay attention and find you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.